Hey, hey, y'all. It's me, Robin. And just real quick before we get to today's episode, if you are loving listening to the podcast, or maybe you don't know because you've just pressed play for the first time ever, but if you like to listen to things in your earbuds, you are going to be so happy to know that Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors is now released as an audiobook. You can get it in Audible or wherever else you get your audiobooks. And of course, you can still get it in print and ebook. If you go to robingobel.com slash book, it's going to give you all the options, including that you could order a signed copy from my local bookstore. Alrighty, y'all. Here's that podcast episode you're waiting for. Welcome back, y'all. This is the Parenting After Trauma podcast. I'm your host, Robin Goebel. And together, we take the science of being relationally, socially, and behaviorally human and try to make it make sense. And not just make it make sense, but make it useful and practical in our real lives. Most of y'all listening are parenting kids with vulnerable nervous systems and what we call big baffling behaviors. And yes, a lot of you are parenting kids with a history of trauma, but if that word trauma doesn't feel like it applies to you in your parenting journey, I invite you to keep listening anyway. I know that that word can sometimes feel a little bit like, oh, hey, I don't think this is about me. But what we really talk about here is being with kids with vulnerable nervous systems, these big, baffling, confusing behaviors that we just cannot make any sense of. And we do that through the lens of the relational neurosciences, because what we believe here is that all behavior makes sense, especially the ones that don't. Today, I am bringing you a very, very special guest. Meredith Ethington is a longtime blogger and author. She writes about motherhood and has recently published a brand new book. And by recently, I mean it's coming out today. She's published a brand new book called the mother load, surviving the daily grind without losing your ever loving mind. And the reason Meredith is such a special guest here on the Parenting After Trauma podcast is because Meredith is one of my best friends. I have known Meredith for over two decades. She was in my wedding She's one of those friends, and I hope you have a friend like this too, that's like, we could go, and sometimes we have gone years without like talking on the phone. We talk more than, you know, we did 20 years ago because of Facebook and technology and all that kind of stuff. But I moved away from where Meredith lives in 2004. So almost 19 years ago, Meredith and I started living across the country from one another and prior to that, I think we'd probably only been friends for two or three years. And it was just that friendship that is unchangeable, that no matter how long we go without talking to each other, and now with you know technology, we don't go very long, but without no matter how long we go without talking to each other or without seeing each other, we just pick up right where we left off. Like She is a ride or die for me. And 
a person who, no matter what, I feel like I just get to be me and she just gets to be her and we love each other fiercely no matter what. And I've, except for my husband, right? I had my husband as a guest back in October when we talked about neuroimmune disorders. Uh, This is the most personal guest I've had here on the podcast. And it does feel so special to introduce you to one of my most favorite humans, but also to introduce her to you. Meredith is someone who talks about what some people think it's hard to talk about. She is willing to give words to the hard, to the uncomfortable, to the things that can sometimes feel like we shouldn't talk about. And we specifically talk about parenting with a vulnerable nervous system And specifically, we talk about parenting with um, some mental health challenges, but there's all sorts of reasons that we could be coming to parenting with ourselves with a vulnerable nervous system. So I hope you love this episode. I hope you take away a few helpful ideas from the episode. And if Meredith's voice and her ideas about the mother load resonate with you, you can go and find her new book, The Mother Load, anywhere that books are sold. I am so delighted to introduce you to my dear friend, Meredith Effington. Oh gosh, Meredith, this is such a treat <laughs> to have you here on the podcast. I would love to go back and tell our Olive Garden selves (laughs) to look 25 years into the future and see our lives now. So welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to introduce one of my very best friends in the whole world to my listeners. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Oh, I am so glad to be here. It feels like a really special treat and an honor. So thank you. Oh, it does feel like a really special treat. So I think it would be fun to tell my listeners just a little bit about us first, because I don't do a lot of (laughs) personal stuff on the podcast, though Ed was on the podcast once. And so they got to meet Mm -hmm. Ed and I certainly talk about my family, but I don't know. This feels like sort of a unique special treat for my listeners. So you and I met in, I think, 2001. Do you think that sounds right? Yeah, that does sound right. Yeah. That's a long time ago. It was a really long time ago. We were so <laughs> young and adorable. and I've aged quite a bit since then. <laughs> So we were waiting tables at the Olive Garden. We yep. did a good job with unlimited soup and salad. <laughs> and breadsticks. And sticks. <laughs> yes, while we were living in Salt Lake City together. And I don't know. What do you remember about that time? And well, you, our, you and probably have a better memory than I do, but I remember bonding with you over books. Yes, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. That's what I remember was our 
our big thing that we started talking about was books and books we loved. So, and then from there, I don't, I don't know. We just, we hit it off and then our husbands liked each other enough for us to hang out together Uh and adventure together. Adventure together. I remember a very cold night (laughs) camping with you guys that I still complain about to this day. (laughs) Well, um, you are responsible for Ed's total hatred of snowshoeing. Not you, probably more. Your husband is more responsible for that. But, you know, Ed loves outdoors in some ways as much as your husband does, but he despises snowshoeing. So funny. I didn't realize that, but it doesn't surprise me. Yeah. So sometimes when we talk about winter sports, I like kind of razz him about like, Ooh, we should go snowshoeing. He's like, no, you're not. Well, my husband's going snowshoeing this weekend. So tell Eddie he can join if he wants to. (laughs) I'm sure he will say, no, thank you. No, thank you. Yeah. I just remember really loving your personality and your calm demeanor I think a part of me I think a part of me knew even back then like this is a person I need in my corner my own best friend therapist (laughs) well I do seriously I we had so much fun back then and I'm sad that we don't live close together anymore we have not lived close together basically forever I mean so I moved away in 2004 And I do think that there is something so special about those relationships that, you know, we don't spend that much time talking to each other. And then when we do, just being able to pick right back up and... Yeah, these long- honestly, I don't. I only have a handful of people like that, yeah, and you're one of those people that I. It doesn't matter how long it's been, I feel totally comfortable and normal and not awkward, yeah. and it's amazing. And just know, love you, Robin. Too. Yeah, well, I love you too. <laughs> I do remember when we saw each other in person all those years ago, like four or five years ago or whatever, in Austin when y'all came to visit. I remember being nervous, like, what really? is it going to be like? Like, are we still gonna like? be in sync the way that we were are we is it gonna what's it gonna feel like or is it gonna be like oh you know maybe we really aren't close friends after all anymore and like that fear was alleviated within about one second yeah (laughs) I think I think you can for sure outgrow friends or like have friends for just a season of your life yeah and yeah I'm sorry you're stuck with me forever we're stuck forever (laughs) I mean I think I think some of it is there's got, there had to have been something about how we were just so like connected that like our parts of us just knew like, this is someone who gets me. We'll be able to be together forever, but also our lives, even though they haven't been totally connected, like on a daily basis have taken similar paths Mm -hmm. as far as, you know, the things we're interested in in our growth and our professions that I think have allowed us to have gone 25 years almost and still be able to have like deep connecting moments and conversations. Totally. I, I can't, has it really been 25 years? Almost. That's mm, close. Yeah, I guess 22 if we met in 2001. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. I know. I just knew you were one of my people when 
I got married in July, at the end of July, uh-huh. and it was freaking 95 degrees. It was. And everyone abandoned me. Mm-hmm. But we I were walking know. around with the photographer and I needed help with my dress. Yes. And you were that person for me. And I was like, this girl, she's a keeper for sure. Mm. I have super fond memories of that day. And actually one of my favorite photos <laughs> of me and Ed is from your reception. That day. Yeah. Aww, from the evening, from the little that. quaint little reception. We were dancing outside and mm-hmm. yeah. Yes. Oh, I love that. Hmm. We, we have, although we've done without question, very different things with our adult lives. There has been this common thread with the way that you support moms and the way that I support families. So um, tell everybody listening just a little bit about the work that you've done and how you support moms. I'm interrupting the show real quick because if you happen to be a new listener, you might find yourself being a little overwhelmed by all this information. That makes total sense. I mean, there's like 150 episodes plus all the free resources that are available over my website. It's just a lot. So many folks have asked me, where do I start? So I created a separate podcast stream called Start here. What I did is I took the 10 episodes that I want you to listen to first, and then I want you to listen to in this specific order. And I put them into a separate podcast stream so that you don't have to search for them. You can just press play and they'll play one after the other after the other. If you go to robingobel.com slash start here, you'll be able to get an invitation to subscribe. And then you'll be able to listen right in the same podcast app you're using right now. RobinGobel.com slash start here. Well, I think I started writing back about a year after my oldest was born. So mm-hmm. back in 2007, when literally everyone had a blog yep. and I, it kind of just morphed into something that I saw the need for people to be talking about the real hard parts of motherhood because um, a lot of people were just, you know, sharing little funny stories about their lives. But I, I felt like that there was a need for just realness to be put out there. Mm-hmm. And um, you know me very well, but mm-hmm. I, I'm a very just like authentic person in the sense that I can't hide my true feelings about pretty much anything. Mm-hmm. So of course that came out in my writing and I think it just naturally progressed into people reaching out and saying, Oh, I feel the same way. And I started thinking, you know, moms are really craving this. They're really craving talking about the struggles that they're facing and um, the hard parts of parenting, not just the cute little funny stories. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, when I started trying to be more public and putting my writing out there in a more public way versus just like my family blog, I really saw kind of the connection that it brought to me in a difficult time in my life, but also the support it gave to other moms. And it really did just like light a fire in me to be able to share the good and the ugly and the hard and all of it. So Yeah. And it just aligned with who I am as a person naturally to just be real about what the parenting journey really is all about. 
Yeah, I like how you said how it also brought support to you. And I think that does get overlooked a little bit in the way that some of us have these maybe more public ways of being in the world, that there's a lot of what looks like a giving. You know, we show up and we give, give, give in all these different ways. And the truth is, is we do it because we're getting something out of it, right? Like we're getting seen, we're getting connection, you know, we're meeting really cool people. And to see that piece of it, that it goes both ways, um, doesn't seem like it always is, is talked about very much, but it's true for me too. Like I love yeah. the people that I, I mean, get to know. Yeah. And I think it, for me, writing has always been cathartic in a way to just like, and sometimes I'll look back on something I wrote 10 years ago and really empathize with that person I was then because it just came out naturally how I, what I was really going through at the time. But um, I've realized in the past couple of years, especially that what I see as spiritual or a spiritual moment for me personally is connection with other people. Um, and just being able to connect on that deeper level. I'm not much of a surface level mm-hmm. person. And I think that's why you and I have always gotten along so well, because we can jump right into the, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the deep, dark, traumatizing stuff. <laughs> yeah, the deep, dark, traumatizing stuff that we really have the sense of like, no, tell me. I want to hear all about right. it. But also now you can listen to me, <laughs> too, as it, yeah. as it goes both ways. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just love it. I love being able to support other moms and to be able to honestly get that support in return. It helps me when I write something raw and vulnerable and someone says, you know what? Me too. Thanks for sharing that. And that makes me feel less alone. So oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I know we've both always had this just love and curiosity and passion about mental health, which is my memory of the first book we bonded over was yep. Wally Lambs. <laughs> I know this much is true. Right, which is yep. all about mental health and a book that I still periodically reread. I re- love it. really Same. long books. It's like a thousand pages. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and so, and I know, you know, I was in graduate school when we met or starting graduate school and you are earning your degree in psychology. And so we've always had this, you know, shared love and passion for mental health. And then Mm -hmm. we took it down similar, I mean, not exactly the same kind of similar paths in, you know, our passion for families and, um, for parenting. So tell me how you're weaving that part in that you're not just talking about parenting, like you're pulling in this mental health and specifically mental health for moms. Well, I think, again, going back to maybe a little bit of a selfish um, reason was because when I became a mom, um, I I guess my mental health issues were just highlighted in a way that maybe I didn't quite recognize before I became a parent. Um, I had the occasional panic attack in um, college as a single person. I was a high-functioning anxiety type of Mm -hmm. type A personality. And it worked for me when I was single and I could control most aspects of my life. But I think as soon as I became a mom and I saw this other human being that I was responsible for, 
it just heightened everything in a way that I was not expecting. And so I was thrown into postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety. And then even after some of that waned, there was just kind of this lingering effect on my mind that stuck around, which was maybe just highlighting the fact that this wasn't a going away for me and this was something I had to deal with. Um, and I think before I became a mom, it was something I just kind of was able to coast through life and make work for me somehow, translating that mm-hmm. into maybe yeah. just high functioning, high performing type anxiety. Mm-hmm. But as a, as a parent, you just can't control so much of it. And, um, when I felt out of control is when I felt most unlike myself mentally, if that makes sense. Oh yeah. Yes. I think I definitely relate to exactly what you said. Like when I felt out of, when I feel out of control, I feel most unlike myself. And there's these mm-hmm. moments of like, who, it, who even is that? Like, where did that come from? How is that possible? And I know that that's totally true about, the parents who are listening that, um, you know, parenting kids, especially with, you know, special behavioral needs brings out special behaviors in us as adults, as (laughs) parents that can just like dumbfound us. Like who is this person? How is it possible? I've behaved this way or acted this way. Oh yeah. I, I talk a lot in my book about just how I had this expectation that I was never going to be a yeller as a mom because I grew up with that and I didn't want that for my kids. I was never going to be that mom, but you know, (laughs) then, then toddlers come along that have their own strong wills and, um, it's, yeah, it's tough. Parenting brings out things in you that you didn't realize even existed. And um, I think especially if you maybe are coasting along through mental health struggles like depression or anxiety and you've got it mostly under control, um, parenting is going to bring that to the surface in a way that maybe is unexpected because you, your, your focus is on the kids. At least for me, I, I know in early motherhood, that's, that was my priority all the time mm-hmm. were the kids, their needs, meeting their needs and when you put your own needs on the back burner, it's going to eventually bubble up. Yeah, I really relate to you. And I would assume most people do that thought in your head of like, I will never X, Y, Z. Like whatever it is that was hard about being a kid and the families we were in, right? And that thought, I mean, I have very clear memories of being in situations and the thought in my head of I will never, you know, whatever is happening right now. And then the um the humility and not humiliation but humility that happens the mm-hmm. moment with you're like oh i'm exactly and i can't make it stop like i don't know how to make it stop yeah i that's actually a relief that you use the words i can't make it stop because sometimes it does feel so overwhelming and so out of control Mm -hmm. and almost like an out of body experience Mm -hmm. when you react in a way that is 
not who you want to be. Oh yeah. That that's maybe just more primal because it's how you were raised or what you saw um, modeled in your own home. That can be really disconcerting as a parent because um, sometimes we just, we don't know how to do it any different because we never saw it any different. And that was certainly my experience for sure. I, I think growing up in the eighties and nineties, mental health in general wasn't really talked about. Um, it was more, you know, I was a high stress kid. I remember having full blown meltdowns about things that kids should not have full blown meltdowns about, but just little things like, mm-hmm. you know, are the doors locked at night? My parents' financial situation, whether or not, you know, I was going to be late to school just yeah. would just eat me alive as a kid. And, um, it was, you know, it was just I don't want to say it was ignored, but it wasn't given the attention that it probably deserved Mm -hmm. that I was actually maybe struggling more than my own parents realized or knew Mm -hmm. how to talk about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tell, tell me about, or I can tell you about it for me we can chat about it, but like the shame, right? Mm -hmm. Like those moments of, and, and how, what do you do with the shame? Like the shame of, of that moment of, oh my gosh, I'm doing exactly what I said I would never do because maybe I'm projecting, but for me, there's a lot of shame that goes along with that feeling. Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, I can tell a story about um, recently I was doing what I thought was helping a friend out who is getting certified in EMDR. Mm -hmm. And um, she asked if she could practice on me. And Mm -hmm. I said, sure, that sounds great. And something came up in that session from what I had done as a new mom that was... 15 years in the past. And I realized I was holding on to so much shame about that moment. And it was around potty training, my oldest in a way I reacted Mm -hmm. when she was being kind of stubborn Mm -hmm. about something. And so much shame was wrapped up in that. It came out in this therapy session 15 years later. And I was so grateful to be able to kind of work through that with her um, because I didn't realize that I was hanging on to that and that it was affecting me subconsciously today. But I think there is a lot of shame wrapped up into it because you promised yourself when you were a kid that you weren't going to be that. So how can that not bring you shame when you, you know, the younger version of yourself really didn't want to be that? And has this visceral felt sense of how painful it is to be on the receiving end of it. Exactly. And you can see that pain in your child's eyes and that cuts you like nothing else as a parent, you know? Yeah. Mm. I feel like, and I, I mean, I know you so well, it's probably not even, I could just say, I feel like, like, I know that this is part (laughs) of what's, fueled how vocal you are and how honest and how authentic you are like this commitment that you have to normalizing one all of our thoughts about like I will never parent like xyz right how we all have those thoughts and we're all doing it (laughs) and then but also even if it's not related to that, like we've all parented in ways that we would never tell anybody else about. And I assume yeah. that you have stories you've never made public 
about what you've done as a mom. I mean, I have. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so to find a way to bring some safety, like to yourself, but also to all everybody reading about what really happens in parenting and when Mm -hmm. we're really like kind of pushed to the brink. Yeah, I do. I am. I always find it interesting that when I share something really vulnerable about a moment in parenting or a moment of how I got annoyed with my children playing and laughing in the next room because my anxiety was not in check, um, that moms will reach out to me every single time in a private message and say, I had no idea anyone else felt like that. And that's what fuels me because being vulnerable and being able to say those things out loud that are shameful and embarrassing are ultimately what releases my shame, but Mm -hmm. also what I hope helps release the shame of other parents that are going through the same thing. Yeah. I mean, no kidding. As far as what we know about the power of just storytelling and authenticity and when we can finally say something out loud and have somebody not like recoil in horror. Right. What about the times you do have people recoil in horror? <laughs> I was just thinking about that because I I shared an article just this morning that I had written a couple months ago about taking antidepressants mm-hmm. and gain, gaining weight. Mm-hmm. And that was a really, really vulnerable article for me because um, I don't like to talk about my weight any more than anyone else likes to talk about their own weight and my struggles with that. Um, And gosh, there were some mean comments on that article telling me that I'm just not truly happy, even though I'm telling myself I am and, and just really ugly things. So it's out there on the internet. It is, I think, um, I don't know that I always take it gracefully, but I think that, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think I've been doing it long enough that I have I have learned to disconnect from those people and check in with myself in a way like and just I don't know reaffirm myself or validate myself in a way that I wasn't able to do maybe in early motherhood it's a lot harder for me um especially back when I was writing early on mm-hmm. cuz there's always going to be a critic always and I think that's true whether you're putting yourself out there publicly or it's just, you know, a friend next door that witnesses you do something that you're not proud of. Um, I think there's always going to be somebody there willing to tell us we could have done it better. So, yeah, I think we um, absolutely how people see us and what they say about us, what they think about us. It's, it's ridiculous to say it doesn't matter. Right. It'd be right. Like when we were kids and we learned, you know, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words, (laughs) well, it's like, well, yes, they do. Like, yes, (laughs) when people are mean. Yeah. And also like we know who we are based on how other people see us is how we like develop that sense of who we are. But then there does come a point where we get to kind of choose, I think. And that's, it's not easy in any way, shape or form, but I, that feels a little bit like my own personal 
path right now is continuing to show up and be vulnerable and then getting a wide variety of feedback. I mean, a lot of it's very positive, but not all of it's very positive. And then being able to pause and like have that mindfulness of like, well, is that true? And right. is that a person who's like earned the right in my life to give me that kind of feedback? Absolutely. I mean, I think that that's exactly how I've dealt with it actually is just saying, is this person a part of my inner circle Yeah, that, that I really value and trust their opinion and they know who I am at my core. And if the answer is no to that, then I can toss their feedback aside a lot more easily. You know, if my spouse comes to me or, you know, a trusted friend or whatever and says, Hey, I noticed maybe this isn't the quite right way to handle that situation. I'm going to be much more receptive to that person and not defensive. Hopefully, I hope I can take that kind of criticism and feedback. I mean, it can still hurt initially, no matter who it comes from. But um, yeah, it can be defensive at first. And then there's a moment of like, hmm, I probably should pay attention. Maybe they're right. (laughs) To what they're saying. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about parenting kids and, you know, the people who are listening to my show are parenting kids with some vulnerability in their nervous systems. And in many ways we could say just mental health challenges, Mm -hmm. Um, not all, but many, but parenting kids while we're having our own nervous system vulnerability. Like when you were describing yourself as a child, I'm like, Oh, you were the child of the parents in my audience. Like they were parenting <laughs> little Meredith's. They were, were, they were for sure. Just vulnerable, just had some extra yeah. vulnerability in their nervous systems. And that's hard in by itself. That's not the child's fault, but it is hard. But then this extra layer of doing that with our own vulnerability. Yeah. I think it's really, really hard if you're not working on yourself while parenting, because I did that for a long time and it didn't work. Didn't serve me (laughs) at all. Um, I thought I'm just gonna like, you know, grit my teeth and just do this really hard thing and just hope that I'm going to be the Zen, cool, laid back mom that I want to be. But the reality was that I wasn't that person at all. I was high So you're not a zen, calm, laid-back person. I'm not, not, but I want to be Robin. Don't you know this? I love the not zen, not laid-back parts of you so much. I I do appreciate it. It gives me personality. (laughs) It does give you personality. And that can be totally true. And I can also hear so much that longing for like, I wish I could do this different. Well, I think it, I think it boils down to what you're saying about the younger Meredith who Mm -hmm. did not have a calm nervous system. And then that Meredith turned into an adult that still didn't have a calm nervous system and really had to do some hard work to get there and still has to do that. Mm -hmm. Especially right now I'm in the stage of, um, raising teenagers, Mm -hmm. which I know you can relate to, but I, I feel like, um, sometimes 
they challenge you in different ways that the toddlers challenge you in the sense that um, they're very vocal and opinionated and they know a lot according to themselves. And <laughs> it's challenging to not take criticism from them to heart. Um, I had an experience recently where my daughter really was being vulnerable with me mm-hmm. and sharing some of um my failings in her eyes. Mm -hmm. And I had this moment where I was able to just be there for her and listen. And I felt so proud of myself because 10 years ago, I would not have been able to do that. But I was able to be with her in that moment and really hear her and validate her and say, you know what, you're right. I can do better with that. Um, I may not ever be this mom that you're expecting, but I can try my best Mm -hmm. to do better. And honestly, I really, it was hard because she left the room and I totally broke down sobbing Yeah, because even though I was able to hold space for her in that moment, um, it's still, it's still stung. It's still hurt. You know, we're still human beings as parents that, you know, we want someone to, hold us still and tell us it's going to be okay. Yes. So I think when you're parenting with your own personal struggles and trying to um, maintain your own sense of self and be centered and be present, it's really challenging when you've got a person in front of you that's even more vulnerable and needs even more, needs you to be the person who can hold space for them. It's hard for sure. And it's hard to remember the truth that you just said, which is that technically they are more vulnerable than us. For sure. And it doesn't always feel that way. And that, I get that. That makes a lot of sense. But I do find that to be a helpful perspective to keep in mind is, is theoretically this, even when they aren't acting vulnerable, because they're acting big and mean and aggressive, sometimes even and scary. Mm -hmm. Like I know some of the parents listening have, you know, they don't seem vulnerable and they are kids and everything that's coming out of them is, is coming from a place of pain and vulnerability in this category that we're talking about, you know, with, with these types of, of moments. And, um, I do think that that can be helpful when it's feeling true that like actually, even though I'm feeling vulnerable, this child's even more vulnerable in this moment than I am. And I think, what I'm hearing you say is like, can both be true? Like, can I show up and be here for this kid in this moment and then also allow my own vulnerability to mm-hmm. come to the surface and get the attention that it needs and deserves in a different moment? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I broke down sobbing yeah. to my husband who was kind of just like, oh my gosh, what just happened? And it it was a place where, you know, I could, I, I don't know, I guess I was just proud that I was able to hold it together yeah. in that moment and not be defensive. Cause that yeah. would be my first reaction is to be defensive. Like that's not who I am. And I do this for you, whatever. Mm-hmm. But instead I, I validated her and I, I don't do it all the time. Yeah. I, <laughs> it was, I'm highlighting my best <laughs> moment here. <laughs> But, but you're yeah, also highlighting that it's possible and we don't have to possible. do it all the time. Exactly. And I think just knowing that you can give yourself space later, you can check in with a therapist later and vent about it later or your spouse or, 
you know, do whatever centering you need to do later to calm yourself. Um, I think just remembering that, unfortunately, you are the parent, you yeah. are the grown up, yeah, and they're not, and they're they haven't learned those skills yet. So it's hard, but it is possible for sure. Yeah, and I think just even those moments of of grief, right? That like mm-hmm. allowing again, I think just allowing ourselves to have both be true. Like I can show up here for my kid and totally validate their experience. And, and I don't have to do that all the time because that would be impossible. And we all right. have plenty of moments where we do exactly what you said. Like, I, I don't do that. What are you talking about? Like, right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I've had those moments too, you know, <laughs> but, um, but then to later give ourselves that we don't have to stay on this path of like, Oh, I'm the, I'm the adult. I have to just listen, listen, listen. Like later in a different setting or a different time, we can have our own moments of vulnerability and, and ask others to see us and ask others to like hear our hurt the way that we just did for our kids. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also, when everyone's calm and when everyone's okay and when the moment has passed and we're all back to our centered selves, we can even return to that kid and say, you know, this is how I was feeling. This is what was going on and it's not your fault and we're good. I love you and I'm here for you and kind of continue to build those connections because man, parenting's hard when you struggle yourself yeah, and I, what adult doesn't in some way. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Do you talk about that with your kids? Like do your kids I do. know about the mental health struggles that you have? Yep. Yeah. I am very open with them about taking medication. Yep. I used to say when they were a little younger, like this is my medication for my brain mm-hmm. that helps me, um, you know, be calm and yeah you know, things like that. And then now, um, you know, even as my kids have gotten older, I've mm-hmm. noticed struggles that they have, um, that are similar to mine. Um, one child in particular of mine really struggles in that way. And being able to connect with that kid and say, this is what works for me. This is what I learned in therapy. This is why I go to therapy. Um, this is hard for me too. It has been so great to be able to, Number one, have those tools to pass on to my kids because yeah. that's something I didn't get as a child. No one was telling me how to like do four square breathing or, you know, yeah. uh, learn how to go to my happy place or anything like that that could have helped me when I was really struggling. But also just being able to validate them. I think that's the biggest part of it is just being able to say, you know what, we all have our struggles. I do too. This is what I'm going through. Um, you know, they know that this book I just wrote is about motherhood and mental health. And I hope one day they'll pick it up and read it. I don't know if now's the right time. It doesn't seem quite right, but (laughs) I think down the road, you know, I hope when they are becoming parents themselves, they can read it and feel validated, you know? So yeah, I talk to my kids about it a lot. Yeah. There was a moment in the last couple of years I can picture sitting outside and talking to you on the phone. And, you know, this, the last couple of years have been a lot. There's been intensity yes. in both of our mm-hmm. lives that we've mm-hmm. shared with one another. 
And I don't remember the exact specifics we were talking about, but I do remember you telling me about how your kids have been able to talk about what's going on for them, honestly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I remember being like, well, of course they can because (laughs) you're their parents. (laughs) Like you've been modeling this way of being in relationship since the moment they were born, which is just with honesty talking about what's real. And sometimes it's hard and sometimes we don't want to talk about it. And sometimes what we're talking about is the way things we've done have hurt people. Um, and sometimes we can, we have a responsibility in that. And sometimes it's just life that happens. Um, but And that's maybe one of the reasons that our relationship's always been able to be so strong as well is just that Mm -hmm. way of being like honest and authentic and just like, well, this is real life. So why, why wouldn't we talk about it? Talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think with kids, especially the most powerful thing I've seen in my own parenting has been just the words, I'm sorry, as the parent, because, um, I didn't get a lot of that as a kid. Mm -mm. And, um, I think that was a generational thing as well, but being able to go to my kid and say, I'm sorry, I yelled, or I'm sorry that I was snippy with you or whatever it is I was doing at the time. Gosh, my kids are so forgiving and it, it just, I hope my hope is that they will know that I tried my best at the end of the day, you know, when they're sitting in their therapist's office talking about me, they'll at least be able to remember that, Hey, mom owned her mistakes as much as she could. And she tried and she said she was sorry. Cause I think that's powerful. When I think back to being a therapist and having both adult clients and kid clients and having, you know, working with a lot of adults who had the same kind of childhoods as the, as the kids that I work with. They were pretty traumatic right. and abusive. And um, I remember so, with so many adult clients having the conversation of um, what would have been different if your parent hadn't necessarily even been able to stop doing what they were doing that was so hurtful, but if they had been able to talk about it with you, like if they had been able to say, I know that I keep doing this thing and I know that it hurts you and I Mm -hmm. see that and Mm -hmm. I'm trying to not do that thing, but obviously being very unsuccessful at not being, you know, it's being, it's stopping. Cause I know I relate to that. Like there's some things that like, I still look at myself and I'm like, why am I still doing that thing? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like how many decades and how many thousands of dollars on therapy? And it's like, I'm still doing (laughs) that thing. (laughs) But also, we talk about it in my family. Yeah, And talk, you know, it's like, I know I do this thing that really hurts you. And I know that I do this thing that really hurts your dad. And I know like, and and vice versa, all of us all together. And Tell me how you've seen, because I know that that wasn't talked about when you were a kid. And again, some of it's generational and some of it's the way that our 
specific parents struggled, right? Talking right. about what was real and what was happening wasn't necessarily their strengths. Right. So, <laughs> so what have you seen? How have you seen that impact your kids being able to be so honest with them? Honestly, I think that it has just built connection mm-hmm. for one and also just allowed them space to have their own feelings yeah. and make their own mistakes. I think when, you know, feelings are running high and everybody, emotions are high and everybody's, you know, stressed out to the max, it coming back together when all of that has calmed down and being yeah. able to talk about it, it's just... Honestly, I think I just see us giving each other grace mm-hmm. and being able to say, I'm sorry, and I screwed up. And I hope that it's having, I hope that it's making them feel loved. Yeah. Ultimately, that's my hope mm-hmm. is that they know that um, they're in a loving home and a safe place where they can have those big feelings right. and they can freak out sometimes. And, you know, they're not going to be disowned. <laughs> right. They're still going to be loved through it, even yeah. if it's hard. And even if we have to have hard conversations after. So I guess that's my ultimate hope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe ask my kids in like 10 years <laughs> how I did. <laughs> that would, <laughs> I, we, should, I, uh, we should put that on the calendar because ooh, our oldest yeah. are the same age. I know. I know. Wouldn't that be interesting? I'm kind of scared of that, actually. I have also. Well, let's wait until their brains are fully developed. Right, right. So maybe fifteen years. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe they're also right. parenting, and so they can have right, a little compassion right. for us, a little more perspective. Right, right. I have <laughs> talked with my son about what it's like to have a very imperfect mom write a parenting book. Mm-hmm. And our whole, a lot of what we're talking about in the family right right now, I mean, not all of it, but we are spending a lot of time talking about this upcoming book that's coming up because it's exciting, but also there's a lot of work involved in getting these books out into the world. And we have talked a couple times about, um, what is that, what is that like to have a mom that you know so intimately and know how often she's doing it very badly. (laughs) Write a book Mm -hmm. for other parents. And mostly at this point, we've just kind of giggled about it. He's not really said too much. Yeah. That's interesting because I was, I was going to say just last night I was showing my son who is 14, a video of me being interviewed about my book and it was just totally him laughing at everything I said. And I felt so cringy and just like, I am a total embarrassment, you know? Yes. Um, so I want to ask my kids that question. Yeah. That's a good question to ask. I'm going to ask that. I haven't asked them that yet. I mean, obviously I've been in the spotlight in some sense on social media for a really long time and they've been aware of that um and they mostly think it's just highly embarrassing I think (laughs) but that's a really it's an interesting question that I think would spark a good dialogue in our house yeah so yeah I know both of us are really protective of our kids privacy is like I don't talk much about Mm -hmm. my kid at all people people know Mm -hmm. I have one and how old he is I don't really talk about 
about him. Specifics, um, yeah. yes. But it still, I think, impacts him to have oh, a mom sure. whose job is about helping people <laughs> parent. Right, right. <laughs> I can just imagine some of the thoughts he has sometimes, like, oh my gosh. <laughs> like, why would anybody think well, my mom? Why are they listening to you of yes. all people? <laughs> oh, For that's funny. sure. Okay, so let's talk about this book that is coming out. In fact, the day that the episode goes out into the world, this episode will be live and your book will be That's published. the release day. It's, yeah. That's the release day. So The Mother Load, talk about it and why. Like, why did you write this book? So I write this book. I wrote this book because I couldn't not write this book. Mm-hmm. That's the simple answer. I I wrote a lot of essays um, and shared them online about my own personal story with mental health and parenting. Mm-hmm. And um, every single time, that's when I would get the most DMs, the most people reaching out, the yeah. most me too's. And it was just like, this is the book I need to write. So yeah. it just came out of me. And it came out of me in the middle of the pandemic Mm -hmm. of all times. Mm -hmm. And in the middle of me going through my first kind of real serious struggle with depression, Mm -hmm. because I've always struggled with anxiety, but um, during 2020, as if COVID wasn't hard enough, I also had my first real serious struggle with depression. It was when I had realized like, Oh, my meds aren't working. I'm not wanting to do anything. I'm wanting to just cry every day. Yeah. So um, that time in my life was kind of a dark time, but it's when I wrote this book mm-hmm. and it's not a dark book mm-hmm. in the sense that, you know, there's a lot of hope on the pages, but it was something that I knew that parents needed. Yeah, That's the simple answer that so many parents, and I don't think you have to have anxiety and depression to relate to what's in the book Mm-mm. because we talk about the mental load. Yeah. Um, I talk about um, society's kind of expectations for us as parents, but also just the pervasive culture of toxic positivity yeah. that um, is not giving space for parents to be open and honest about their struggles. So there is something for everyone in here that has had any sort of wrestling with parenthood, to be honest. And I just, I had to write it because I knew that there were parents out there that needed it and needed that support and needed to know they weren't alone. One interesting, possibly ironic aspect of all of this is that I don't have a very big mother load. That people ask me a lot in my profession, which is a very woman-dominated profession. Right. And a very underpaid one. Mm-hmm. And they ask me a lot, um, how do you do it? How do you do it all? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I find it to be such a fascinating question that's, that people are making the assumption that I do. Right? Interesting. That mm-hmm. I, um, folks know that I've, I'm married and that I have a kid, like none of this is necessarily private or secret information. And so there is this thing that happens where women in my field approach me and often for um, like kind of business consultation or practice building or 
um, wanting to maybe move in the direction that I did out of, you know, direct one-on-one work to these other ways of working. And it is, how do you do it all? And it's like, I, I don't. So (laughs) I always make that so clear with folks right up front, which is I actually, I do not carry the mother load. Like my husband's been a stay at home dad since our son was four. And even Mm -hmm. before that, I would say we were pretty even as far as like parenting and household ish kind of stuff. Um, and he is, he carries the mother load in our family. Like he makes appointments. Like I think the dog goes to the groomers tomorrow. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like he's grocery shopping every now and again, I have to go into the grocery store um, because I'm out in the world, whatever, it's convenient. And I am horrified at what everything costs. He's like, yep. mm-hmm. Yeah. Whatever. I can't find anything. I was like, what about, <laughs> like, what do you mean this costs? What? And so he just sort of chuckles at me, but it's like, even that part, right? Like budgeting, knowing how to make a list, how, like, how far does our grocery budget go? Um, how do I, how do I care for all of these people Mm -hmm. and keep Mm -hmm. our, our house running? And so I mentioned that because I think it's important for folks like me, whether they are, um, we, regardless of gender, you know, regardless of whether you're identifying as a mom or a dad, um, to occasionally pause and remember, you know, who is carrying that load mm-hmm. in our family. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the truth is, is in my family, it works out. Like, it does feel like he's got his load and I've got my load and neither of us are – we're both totally cool with the rules mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. we play. It really works out for us. But it doesn't in all families. No, it doesn't. And I would argue that even – people that don't feel like they carry the load you have your own load to carry oh, I yeah. look at yeah I, I look at like my in fact there's a chapter in my book that talks about the implications of marriage dynamics and carrying the you know mental load and um interestingly enough it there, there has been studies done that shows that homosexual couples actually share more of an equal role. Mm-hmm. And that just tells me that it's possible for heterosexual couples to do it too. Totally. It's just all about communication and breaking down those stereotypes and being open and honest with what the expectations are. But with that all being said, I think it's impossible for anyone to do it all and have it all. Mm-hmm. No kidding. I mean, it's just impossible. Yeah. That's yeah. not the thing we should be striving for. Yeah. In everything in life, if you <clears throat> if you're trying to reach a goal of some kind, something's got to give in another area. Yep. That's just the truth. And, um, I have seen that I recently went back to school and I've seen that in my own household there, the standard of living has dropped a little bit <laughs> in our house. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. So, and that's no one's fault no. per se. Yeah. We've had lots of talks as a family about like, hey, I can't clean up those dishes right now. I've got to do this. Yeah. And everybody's kind of adjusting because mom is now doing something different. Yeah. And so I think regardless of what your role is or your partner's role is or your child's role is, there, you know, there's something that everybody can take away from the mother load, which yes. is that you all have burdens and you all have responsibilities and you all have, I mean, that's part of just adulting in general. And, um, it's, it's possible to put some things aside and focus on what's really important. And I think the key to that is just being open and honest and communicating like what works for you may not work for another person. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that's fine. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not a one size fits all sort of thing. And I, I think for a long time, our culture did that. And I love that we're changing that narrative now and that there's more of a shift. I still think women tend to bear the brunt of most of it mm-hmm. in most households. Mm-hmm, that's for sure. just the reality. Yeah. And, um, that's, you know, obviously who I had in mind when writing this book, but I do, I do acknowledge that, the, my spouse has his own mental load that he has to think about and worry about. There are things that I do not ever think about, like mowing the yard. I don't think about that. I don't look at the grass and think about how long it is. Like, I, I mean, that seems like a simple thing. Like, who cares about the grass? I don't care about the grass. Like, I don't think about it. Yeah, no. <laughs> you know? I mean, that's what, exactly what we're talking about here are these yeah. teeny tiny little things mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. really add up. And oh, yeah. I think kind of reg- regardless, it's a, it, just like you said, this this way of nothing will ever be perfect. Like there's ever, there's no relationship where it's ever going to be like, we are both completely satisfied with exactly right. the way that we contribute. <laughs> right. Because first of all, it's always ebbing and flowing, right? Like there For has sure. been time periods where I have to do way more because he's just not capable and then, and right. vice versa. But also life isn't perfect and it, it just never is going to be, but finding some, I, I think offering people some hope that it is possible Mm-hmm. theoretically <laughs> to find yeah. like some sense of this is working for us and our relationship. Right. So if you, people do, are, you know, privileged enough to be parenting with somebody else, um, mm-hmm. that there is a way to have communication mm-hmm. and be clear about what our own, what our needs are and what's, what's working for us and what's not working for us. And, um, I think again, just as I was like reading the book, thinking about the benefits for more folks, just even so much beyond who you kind of technically wrote it for, Mm -hmm. um, and helping Mm -hmm. us all kind of remember these, like the, the hidden load that goes Mm -hmm. along with, you know, parenting and Western culture and 2023. Yeah. It's a lot. It's really, really heavy, no matter who you are. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, partners can have different 
loads that they worry about that maybe you don't think about in regards to parenting too. Yeah. Um, things that they're stressing about, about the future. Um, I think, yeah, my husband and I are a good example of that. I think he thinks more, um, you know, in practical Mm -hmm. steps Mm -hmm. and I think more in feelings and Mm -hmm. emotions Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and how we're all doing mentally. (laughs) So I think, um, you know, just constantly talking about it is the way to go about it and to get through it. Yeah. Well, like I said, that's something I've always known about you to be true is we can just talk about it. Yeah. Much to my husband's, um, disappointment. We got to talk about stuff. He's not much of a talker and we've done so much therapy and so much talking the past three years. I think sometimes I just have to give him a break and be like, you know what? We can talk about that tomorrow. Let's, let's just have some quiet time. That's fine. (laughs) Well, that is probably true. And also I know your wonderful husband and I'm positive that's true. And, um, that's why we have friends who can exactly with the amount of talking you and I are interested in doing. Uh, Well, this has been just perfectly delightful. I'd love to get back to our younger selves and be like, look at what's going to happen. Look at what's going to happen. Although they probably wouldn't have appreciated the, like one, how hard it is to maintain a relationship. Yeah, for sure. Have maintained a relationship. So I'm so grateful for you. Oh, ditto. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) I think about hard things and I'm like, how would I, how would those things have, been okay without Meredith. Same. Oh, thank you. I feel the same way about you. And I am, you know, I feel like we could start our own podcast just rambling Mm. for hours because we could do this all day long. I agree. Let's (laughs) Let's start another one. (laughs) Just what I need is another podcast. Yeah. Same. I need something else to do. (laughs) Exactly. Well, um, tell folks, the best way to go and find the mother load. Yeah. So it is pretty much everywhere. You can buy books online. Mm -hmm. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it on Barnes and Noble. There are some um, indie websites that you can purchase it on. Also, my website is perfectionpending.net. And there is a link there to that for my books. And you can click on that and it'll show you everywhere you can purchase it. So pretty easy to find. Just type in the mother load and you should be able to find it. Thank you for taking this time and for showing up and being with me here today, but also just for showing up and for yourself and for all the parents out there who process information differently than we do. So they don't like head to the internet and start Instagram accounts or blogs (laughs) or podcasts, but instead they're listening and reading and it really matters to them. It does so, matter. Yeah. It matters to us too, mm-hmm. that they show up and that they read it mm-hmm. and that it they, does. um, you know, help support us too and help yeah. us feel a little less alone. So yes. it mm. was a pleasure and I loved every second of it. Yes. I love you. Mm. I love you too. Thank you. Mm. Thank you y'all. Thank you for holding and seeing this other part of me. And that is 
a dear personal friendship with Meredith. Meredith is so honest about how she talks about the hard stuff. And I know you all know that parenting is full of the hard stuff. And so if you need to connect with somebody who isn't willing to say, yep, this is all super hard, go check out Meredith's book, The Mother Load. Just type her name into Google and it's going to come right up. It's available anywhere books are sold. And I will absolutely make sure that the... Links are put in the show notes. Meredith also has uh, really active social media accounts, and I will link you to those as well so that you can stay in touch with Meredith. Thank you all so, so, so much. Thank you for tuning in one more time. If you're loving the podcast, share it with another parent or caregiver or professional who could use some support, who could use being seen in their struggles of parenting a child or caring for a child or supporting a family with a child with a vulnerable nervous system and those big baffling behaviors. My book, Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors, Brain, Body, Sensory Strategies That Really Work, is available for pre-order at robingobel.com slash book. It is releasing September 21st, and there is a link to pre-order through uh, one of my local independent bookstores here in Grand Rapids, where if you pre-order for through them, you will get a signed by me copy in the mail. So robingobel.com slash book. Otherwise, I'm going to see y'all back here next week. Are you ending this episode with maybe a big sigh of relief? Like, yes, finally, someone gets me and my kids. But also maybe a sense of like, okay, but now what? All right, y'all, I've got lots of possible now what's. If you want to connect with me directly, like pick my brain, have access to me almost every day, not to mention hundreds of other parents from around the world who totally get what it's like to be you, then you're going to want to join us in the club. We have monthly live events, including groups for siblings of dysregulated kids, a huge video library with something like 80 or 90 videos, plus transcripts and certificates of completion. Plus, of course, a very active forum that I'm participating in every single day. We open for new members periodically. So go check robingobel.com slash the club. If we aren't open now, you can put yourself on the waiting list and I'll let you know the moment we open for new members. That's robingobel.com slash the club. Now, if you're a professional and you want to strengthen your capacity to work with the families of kids with big baffling behaviors and vulnerable nervous systems, plus use all of my materials, including a 12-module course that follows raising kids with big baffling behaviors, plus be included in an online searchable directory 
so families all over the world could find you, then you're looking for Being With, which is my year-long immersive training program that runs January through December. So you'll want to go to robingobel.com slash being with, read all about it. And if you're interested, put yourself on that waiting list too. Now, if you just maybe need a little extra connection and co-regulation, but don't feel like you need to join the club, then you can just keep listening to my podcast. Or you could go subscribe to my Start Here podcast, and that'll give you 10 episodes in order that will take you through cultivating a great foundation of parenting with regulation, connection, and felt safety. That's at robingobel.com slash start here. You have to go there. You can't just find it in your podcast app. Or you can get yourself a copy of Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors, paper book, audio book, ebook. You can get that anywhere books are sold. Or you can just head to my website download one of my very many free resources. I keep them all really easy to access at robingobel.com slash free resources. Webinars, masterclasses, ebooks, infographics, all sorts of stuff. Go check it out. See what of those things could be supportive of you or maybe to the other adults in your life who are helping support you and your child. There are just so many ways that you and I could be more connected and you can get the amount of co-regulation and support that you need. If it feels like a lot to remember, all you have to do is go to robingobel.com and take your time clicking around, seeing what I got there. I am so, so glad you and I are connected now and I can't wait to be with you again soon in our next episode of The Baffling Behavior Show. Bye-bye, y'all.